Hey friends, Ashton here. Welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Hope you and yours are doing well. Today I have a dear friend of mine. He was in my wedding. I haven't seen him in, in too long. It's embarrassing how long it's been since I've seen him, but um, he was a uh, friend, mentor, a guide for me when I was in college. I've always looked up to him, and um, he's a beautiful soul. He does beautiful things in the world, and it was just time. We, we started texting a few weeks ago, and I was like, you need to come on. We need to hear from you. We need to see what's stirring within your heart and soul, and he said yes. So, dear friends from Dallas, Texas, my good buddy John S. Bauer is here. Bauer, what's up? Hey, man. How you doing, Gus? You know, um, same old, man. Super grateful for you coming on and uh, sharing some time with us today. I know. I was looking over the uh, the show notes or the list of people you've spoken to, and I'm like, how did I get on here? <laughs> I'm not surprised that you've connected with those, um, but... Anyway, it's a joy to be here, man. It's been good to connect recently with you. Well, um, everybody belongs here, man. Everybody has a voice. Um, so where do we start? I want to I kind of set the tone for um, you and your story and your work in the world. I kind of ask everyone when they come on, you know, when you do introduce yourself and your work in the world, where do you begin? Man, I, I don't know if I'm such a, I'm not really a present moment person. But oh, that's a great question. I would have never done this back when you and I were first, we were frat brothers together. And, <laughs> and that's when I had some changes start. But I would never would have done this until now. I'm almost 40, almost a man. But I started doing this. I start leading with my metaphor. Um, you know, in our culture, we want to know, like, what do you do so we can kind of figure out how much they make? <laughs> um, yep. At least I do that. Yep. I don't know if anyone else does that. But. <laughs> So I would have never have done this because I remember, bro, being friends with you way back in the day and we were kind of young and, you know, fantastic to be quite frank. And you were one of the first guys I knew that there was like this artistic gifting creativity. And I was like, wow, what is this? And so like even the name of your podcast, like sounds like my friend Ashton. <laughs> so anyway, my metaphor, I would lead with that. And I've been doing it now in um, different circles, and it's kind of interesting. So I just straight up, I say, look, well, I'm a warrior priest. That's really who I am. Hmm. Uh, that's kind of my identity. And even now I'm saying that I feel a bit insecure. So that's something that's <laughs> really come out of a lot of, really my story, my journey, um, kind of where the Lord has taken me um, over the years. But it's a metaphor that I try to use um, to kind of sum up, I think, who I am, because I've, I've, I've not been like a phrase guy um, but I've gotten some phrases, and one of the ideas has been this idea that being is greater than doing. So, like, who mm -hmm. you are is more important than what you do. Um, so, the warrior priest idea is this idea that I believe God made me as a warrior priest, this idea that I'll go to the lost, looking, and lonely. And I've done this everywhere. Like, even when I was a drunk frat guy or, a you know, a tool I mean, whatever bad metaphor you want to use, where I was like fighting for people's hearts for them to kind of have an idea of who God made them to be, the lost looking and lonely, and in all kinds of places, um, kind of bring them into what I would call a relational encounter either with God or with others. And 
It's this idea that we are wired for relationships. Our brains are hardwired to be in good, healthy relationships, which, of course, is difficult. And so, yeah, I'm a warrior priest. That's who I am. And then vocationally, I've got a couple things that cause me to make some income. One is I'm a pastor as a church planner, or I guess I am a church planner here in Dallas, and really with a bunch of guys that we were friends with at a college and um, been a pastor vocationally, I guess, going on nine years. It'll be in January. Hmm. And then recently, my wife and I, in kind of the middle of figuring out a little bit of who I am, um, one of the things that was on our heart was really entrepreneurial and starting business. And she's really creative. And so she started um, a hat company uh, here in Dallas, and she's got a lot of aspirations for other things. And I've started um, some consulting um, for teams, organizations, and individuals. Um, and so, yeah, man, that's that's kind of what I do. That's how I get paid through coaching and pastoring. But really who I am is a warrior priest. So there you go. Beautiful. I love it. Um, and I would say, yeah, that rings true for you. Um, I, uh, I love that metaphor for you. So um, I guess I, w- I want to, before we go full into um, a lot of what you do and how you see the world and the journey that you walk with people, talk with me a little bit about um, your story of transformation and kind of how you're, you know, I'm kind of jumping off that last phone call that you and I had, but I, I, I feel like you are really learning, you are learning who you are um, mm-hmm. before the, the doing and having, you know, it's be, do, have. And it seems like, talk to me about your journey of discovering being, your journey of discovering who you are at the soul level, the essence. Um, and those, that's are all, those are all, you know, foo-foo words that we quite often use around here a lot. Um, but I, I would love to just hear, um, you know, this kind of middle passage of in your thirties kind of discovering, um, really the essence of, it's like this discovery for you has led you to help others, uh, discover the same thing for themselves. Yeah. I, the cool thing is, um, is that I've really been doing it my entire life. And the question is really, have I been doing it um, in the shadow, which is a very Jungian phrase, the dark part of yourself that when you let it fly, it builds hell on earth for people and for yourself. And, or whether I'm doing it out of really what I would say is who God made me to be my identity. So even in those moments, I mean, for the listeners, I mean, I was a frat guy. I was an evangelical I'm still an evangelical. It depends on what you mean by it. But, uh, you know, I I relate to a lot of the people's tension of going, man, I grew up in this thing. It didn't quite become my own. Um, And there's lots of deconstruction and reconstruction and all those kind of trendy words they say. But um, I mean, even times of just stupidness and folly, there are moments where people like you, others that we could list that were like, they would see different parts of me and say, John, that's that's really you. What happened? What was that? And um, so, growing up, you know, grandson to one of the first megachurch pastors in Texas, Baptist, um, didn't really have any kind of relationship with Jesus. Went to college, you know, no parents, and <laughs> I, went, <laughs> I went about as wild as you could as a Baptist minister and a minister's kid. Um, and all I could say is, really, what was it? 
is La Fiesta. Where's the restaurant that was in Waco? Memphis. Uh, it was yeah. Well, Memphis was one of them for sure. Like through too many margaritas, where I started to kind of lose myself, and I would say, in not a good way. Um, <laughs> I didn't go to the center of the universe in a good sense, but um, man, it's like my story is Jesus came and got me and brought me to the Father. There was so much shame in my life about who I was, this kind of disingenuous, disintegrated person, because that's what shame does. That's a Kurt Thompson quote from his book, Soul of Shame, that talks about how shame will disintegrate you from who, who you are, your relationship with God, and then what you're to do in the world. And so that was really, that was 22, 23, and I was just blown away. I was like, wow, this is better than the God I met on paper or in Sunday school, you know. And so that really set me off. I was never the same. And that was 23, 24. But if you fast forward to, I guess, about 2018, I mean, I hit rock bottom. And it was, um, I was actually removed um, by dear friends who uh, Ashton knows, uh, who were walking with me in church. They said, you know, bro, you got to sit this one out. You're burnt out. Hmm. And that was in November of 2018. But in February, man, I was in the parking lot of my a psychiatric nurse practitioner. He's trying to dial in the meds for me. And I like, it was the darkest moment of my life. Mm. Um, I, I someone, I talked to a dear friend afterwards and he asked about like suicidal ideation, all this other stuff. And I don't know what happened other than in that moment, the pain was so great. All I wanted out, the only way out seemed to be death. And um, it's because if I wasn't this pastor or this minister, who was I, you know, and I couldn't do it anymore. I was burnt out. The things that I had been practicing weren't leading to life. And it was, it was the shadow. It was like, man, really my identity became whether or not um, the church grew or it made it quote unquote, or it had Instagram followers, even though we never really went for that. And there was so much pain wrapped up in the comings and goings of people and which is true for like entrepreneurs and, and business people and you know artists and everything else. It's like, man, if it's not going well, and, and then the identity is wrapped up in that, there's just this massive disintegration that really led me to the end of myself. At least there's probably more, but Lord, I don't want to go any farther <laughs> into that place. So um, in that moment, uh, it took about maybe 24 hours. Um, it had been so rough because I'd kind of was basically put on pause for six months. And then in February I really broke. And then about 24 hours after that, I started to have this will to live. Um, and I just wanted to live well. And I don't know if Ashton, if you've seen, what is it? Um, what is that movie? Golly, it's a wonderful life. And, mm -hmm. and George Bailey's like, I just want to live. And that became my cry, and I didn't care what I did at that point. I wanted to live well with my family. I wanted to have a relationship with God that was such that my kids didn't hate church, didn't hate God, didn't think God was some mean, angry dude that was mad if they didn't get something right. And so I was willing to do um, whatever it took to live again. And and that, starting that February, I guess that was 2019, that's when change really started to move uh, more quickly. And I started to be able to breathe again. It's like mm -hmm. if you've had an asthma attack, you just, all you want to do is breathe. And so within 24 hours of that moment, I was like, all I wanted to do was live and live well. 
And so that's really those two most impactful, I think, times. Yes, marriage. Yes, kiddos. But as far as, like, just categorically different, those are those two moments that really have shaped my story. Talk to me about um, death being the doorway. Um, it It sounds like that um, for those of us that have had the rock bottom moment, um, and I think all of us, you know, you, you, you know if you've had it or not. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's when you face that thing that you thought you could never face, um, and you see that vanish, you see it die, you see it crumble before you, and then you do have this, you know, pattern to resurrection of where life then arises. Talk to me about your experience of that dark night of the soul and then moving into the light, moving into a, a life, as you mentioned. I mean, I think, I, I, I think you, don't, you don't talk like this unless you have that, hey, I made it. I made it through the death, and here I am. Right. I remember um, hearing a guy I really admire talk about a real dark uh, moment and the crowd was kind of laughing and he's like, it wasn't funny. You weren't there. And <laughs> there's like a gravity to the way he said it that I was yeah. like, I, I remember that. And it didn't really happen until, you know, I, who knows what day it is because of COVID. But till that, that moment in February, I was like, Oh my goodness. And so a couple things, man, I, the, when my friends came, they were the elders of the church that said, John, you've, you're burnt out spiritually and emotionally, and you're going to have to take a break. There's a couple things you got to know about the story. One is Jesus was so kind, and before that, like a month or so before that, I was reading um, some Eugene Peterson, as the King's Fish Catches Fire. I can't remember the name of the book. It's yeah. so complicated. But he's talking about the rich young ruler, and he talks about Jesus going to him and saying, hey— hey, there's this one thing you're lacking, and um, the, your money is getting in the way of it. And so I, I'm plenty wealthy. I'm you know, doing fine on that. But that wasn't my issue. That was, that was the rich young ruler's issue. So I was in Starbucks. I had to go into my truck. Luckily, it's well-tented because I could sense something was coming. And I just felt like Jesus was like, hey, give me the keys to the church, and I'll give you your life back. And then a month later that happened, but, and so I, I could put it together. I, mean, I literally mm-hmm. gave them the keys to the building. So he was so kind, so gracious into it, but it didn't make it any harder or any less difficult, mm-hmm. I should say. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what, you know, you'd kind of send some questions um, to me. And it's like, if I could tell my younger self is, is like, dude, you're going to go through the dark night of the soul. And what no one tells you, it's, it's, it's like a metaphorical death. It's going to feel like death. And the only way out is through it. You've got to go into the grave to be resurrected, you know, for that um, transformation, for that phoenix-like transformation, like the things that are kind of worthless, they've got to die. And it's a lot easier when you choose to let it go than it's taken from you. So in God's grace, he prepared me for it to let it go. But at the same time, it was still that de- I said yes to it. Mm. Like I gave him permission, and then he <laughs> took me up on it. Consent. But man, I, I remember talking with the guys afterwards. I was like, I am a failure. Mm. That was it. That was like over my, I have failed at what I set out to do. And that was really, really, really tough. I mean, I remember being with my family. Thanksgiving happened shortly thereafter. 
and that was the darkest depression. It was sustained, right? There was some life that was starting to happen. Um, but it was all about like, who am I? Like, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what to do and was just lost, man. I just completely lost. And like the, the physical ramifications of that, what was happening in my body, chemically, neurologically, all of that stuff. And, um, yeah, man, I, I just think about like the way of Jesus is that death, bail and resurrection. And we want the resurrection, but don't nobody want to die as your friend of mine, Dave Crowder <laughs> would sing. Um, so long ago. Um, so yeah, man, that's what I think about. And I would just say, it's like, it's going to happen and it's really your choice to whether or not you let it happen willingly, if you face it willingly. And and that's like the most courageous thing. So it doesn't matter who I talk to, whether it's secular or Christian or non-believer, when I see that in someone, when they go face that, that fear, that, 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 and they enter into it willingly even though the circumstances may be like driving them towards it or the fates or whatever you want to call it, there's something so admirable about that um, that I, I just like want to be there around those type of people because you mm. know something's going to break, that the dawn is going to come. Um, so, and yeah, and that's what I would say about just how what it looked like for me was, A, luckily God's grace was there to lead me into it, and then B, that I chose it, but still, it was, it was death. I mean, I could, I didn't, bro, I didn't, I didn't go outside my front door for like two, two months mm-hmm. yep. until I was finally up on my roof, blowing off um, the leaves because I have a real flat roof, whatever to blow off the leaves. And your friend of mine, Preston, jumped up on the roof and hugged me. And I just cried because it was the first time I had ventured out um, to where someone could see me. You know, I mean, that's how intense mm-hmm. it was for me. And you know me, man, I'm. My middle name is Intensity, so I, it may may have been harder than it needed to be, but I, I just I I'm an eight, so I'm like you know full. Let's go for it. So yeah. yeah. So then, uh, walk with me on this idea of wholehearted living, of finding life, finding. Um, you know, I I I hear when you reflect on, you just wanted to live. You just wanted to live a life well all of a sudden you're, you're changing the tone in your words leaves from headwinds to tailwind, um, fruits of the spirit. It, it sounds as though, you know, the things of love and joy and peace and patience, these are the things that start to bloom, arise, uh, things that you pursue, enjoy chasing a lot of words here. Um, when you, as you have found life, on this narrow path. Talk to me about wholehearted living, what that feels like, what that looks like, what that means to you. Well, I, on one sense, it's hope. And I remember um, both reading and listening to N.T. Wright talk about it. He says, you know, in the Christian tradition, you know, it says these three things remain faith, hope, and love. Um, but the greatest of these is love. And he says, well, we know a good deal of faith. You know, we're supposed to believe in Jesus. And we at least think we know what love looks like, um, even though we probably don't. But he goes, we don't know a lot about hope and how necessary that is for life. And so I I, I think about, you know, the story of David and Saul, and he's going to go out and fight um, Goliath, and Saul tries to put this armor on him, and and David's like, I don't know this stuff, dude. Let me get my my five smooth stones and my sling. He's like, that's how I handled business out in the fields. (laughs) 
And, and so for so long, I had been putting on other people's expectations. And like, I mean, you know this, Ashton, we live in such a tumultuous time. So I was, I was blown by every breeze, whether it was a liberal voice or a conservative voice. If I didn't do or say the right thing, then the church wouldn't grow. And then that says something right about me or wrong. There's something wrong about me, which is like the essence of shame. And so that, that kind of death moment, I was like, screw this. I want to live and live well, but I don't want to live under your expectations. Hmm. My, my grandfather's, my former churches, my parishioners, any of that other stuff. And so to me, being wholehearted, I, and this formulated over months of just kind of pouring over it, which is why my break was such a gift. We had time and kind of a path to walk through. But I said, I want to be wholehearted, body and soul. And that's kind of going away from that. I, I think even now in the evangelical world, it's like a new form of Gnosticism where the body is kind of bad, but the spirit and spiritual things yeah. only matter. Yeah. And so like, I wanted to be integrated into my body and like, like from like, I didn't go get my blood type tested, but I did some stuff physically um, when working out and changing diets and some different patterns so that my body could actually house my soul well, you know what I mean? Hmm. And then understanding that identity piece. Um, so I said, I want to be a wholehearted man, body and soul, who's relationally and vocationally integrated. And again, going back to that Kurt Thompson, my story is just shame. It's there is something wrong with you. You are not good enough. And that shame is so powerful, according to Thompson, that it, like you'll do anything to not feel it. Hmm. And so man, that's where I would get to. I'd get these places of shame to where I'm not relationally integrated with God and with others, my wife, the ones that I actually love. Um, you know, I mean, deeply love and know and I'm, I'm known by. And then vocationally integrated. So I, I am, I, bro, I mean, it's weird. I mean, you would say this, I think, as a friend of mine, like you're not surprised that I'm a pastor, a spiritual mm-hmm. director, a guide. But other people, when they see me like, you're a pastor? I mean, Bro, I cannot tell many times, and you can hear me saying bro so much because of our frat days together, um, I'm reintegrating into our uh, unhealthy family systems. <laughs> but Hey, we were pretty uh, healthy. <laughs> hey, bro, I guarantee it. But, man, I people come to me all the time, and they're like, our, our friend, like, Sean Parsons, like, hey, I told a guy that, you know, we're at Bowers Church, and they're like, John Bowers, a pastor? And I just don't look like other people. And that's okay. I don't have to wear Saul's armor. So I want to do what God has made me to do. And that's a little bit hard in this day and age because, you know, there's this expectation that at 22, 23, 24, that you're just going to know and just do it. And that's taken a lot of time, counsel, pain, failure, get back up and go. So to me, that's wholehearted. It's like you're physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally integrated into who God says you are, what you're called to do, and to those around you. And so then it comes to that place of just choosing. You're just going, okay, I know the path to the shadow, and I know the path to life. Which way are you going to go? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that's the hard part because that choice, that temptation to go back to the shadow doesn't just go away because you've had this dark night of the soul. But to me, that's what it means. It's really being integrated physically, emotionally, spiritually, and then relationally and vocationally. And so I'm not there yet. I'm almost 40. I'm hoping that there's some kind of prophetic metaphorical switch here in a few months when I turn 40. But yeah, man, that's what it looks like for me. So coming from eight energy, um, which some of the shadow can be force, not flow. Um, oh, for sure. Talk, talk, talk to me about 
what you have learned about surrender and letting go, surrendering and letting go um, in the dark night of the soul and um, allowing the process to happen, but that you're not, you're not forcing it through death. You, you're just, it, there's an allowing. I think you, you even said just a yeah. minute ago, this consenting. Um, there's, there's something that happens, um, and I think it's, you, I don't think any of us can manufacture this, this, this life of no. resurrection. So I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, I want you to hold my hand on this idea of surrender and letting go on this narrow path that leads to life. Well, you you just voiced so many things that we could probably talk about for hours, but I'll just I'll come at it from the eight point of view and my story and shame. So given your previous speakers, they'll know a decent a bit about the Enneagram, but that's part of where the shame was. It's because the force of my personality versus flow. I am so intense. Like, pray for my wife, Casey. I'm so intense. It's either heaven or hell. There's no in-between, no purgatory. It's just one <laughs> The other and it's exhausting and that was part of like i'm like who can handle this, this force of i'm a force of nature man i like i am and and so i didn't know anything about flow really in the sense of being and then flowing out of being and who i am and so when i looked at myself i was like this part is bad because a lot of ways you don't see uh, eight type personality and you know um, not Revelation, in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, you know. Yeah. And the fruit of the Spirit is be domineering. <laughs> <laughs> and so, man, I I think the practices, um, and I got into, you know, I was very Baptist, became charismatic, got a little reformed along the way. And then at the age of 37, 36, 37, 38, I was like, this is not working. Hmm. And so I had to do stuff that, is the choice, like you said, um, consent to the process. And that looked like lectio. That looked like mm-hmm. prayer of exam for mm-hmm. these church fathers that, you know, growing up where I grew up, when we, if we were to read the Nicene Creed, we're like, do I need to pray, pray a demon off me? <laughs> you know, it says one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And, and so it, like, I didn't have, I, I had a choice, but what I was doing was not working. The practices, like, for instance, reading the Bible in an entire year I mean, I'm so glad that Graham Cook, this kind of awesome charismatic mystic, was like, God didn't write the Bible in a whole year. Why are you trying to read it in a whole year? And so I had to get to these places of like silence, of gratitude, and of lectio, and of reflective listening, and prayer of examine. And as I did that, I started to feel integrated and was able to really master that part of the eight that it is a force, but it's it's like how it's how I image God. And, but if I'm like acting like that around a you know a five year old, that's not exactly the best for anybody. You know what I mean? And it stinks to be around. I mean, just call my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think learning, and I bro, I cannot emphasize this enough, is that I'm still learning that process yeah. of surrender. And it's just going: Are you going to surrender? Are you going to Are you going to believe what you learned? in the desert, in the wilderness, that being is in fact greater than doing. And by kind of consenting to, you know, relinquishing, relinquishing control or your rights, then in that you actually get what you most desire, which is to kind of be what you're created to be. And in mm-hmm. and, and mind, a lot of that is an intense person, but it's much more pleasant to be around 
uh, when it's it's already it's been mastered and subdued um, both by my own volitional choice and then by hopefully the fruit of the Holy Spirit where it's like okay now is the time to be like you're prepared mm-hmm. for the moment you're ready when the when the the time is needed for that eight type personality so yeah. I don't know I only other thing I would say is that desire and you know C.S. Lewis he said something to the effect of God finds our desires not too strong but too weak. And there's so many things in Christendom when we think about, like, man, I want to be successful, but in Christianity you're not supposed to want that. Or, you know, it's that, that desire is actually not strong enough. Hmm. And you've got to actually understand it, unpack it, which might be too uh, unspecific, uh, so you can actually possess it so that you can lay it down. Otherwise you just end up bitter because, like, God or somebody didn't allow you to be who you were or something like that, and you become a victim. And so I had to really own my desires in that process so that I could properly surrender them. Um, So it wasn't someone just doing it because that's what the Bible says or that's what Ashton expects of me or so on and so forth. So I, that, that idea you mentioned desires, but man, I had to own my desires, even the ones that were unchristian, um, that seemed unchristian or not welcomed, so that I could actually surrender it, relinquish it. And that's, I mean, daily, if not mm. weekly. Yeah. Weekly, if not daily. So, yeah, man. Talk to me about being as total gift. That um, I think one of my biggest leaps within the spiritual side of my life in the last five years is that there is nothing outside of me that I can attain produce, create, scale, get, build, whatever, um, that compares to that which has already been given to me, that which I've already been entrusted, the, the essence, who I am at the soul level, who we are hidden with Christ and God, if you will, if we want to use religious language. Um, I have a heart to, to acknowledge that and for that to be a light that comes on for as many people as I can. Talk to me about yeah. all the unlearning <laughs> that oh. goes into realizing you've always had what you've always been after. Um, yeah. Cause I think we've just been told to do this, do that, build this. And, and then you will fill in the blank and I think the good news is the great announcement that, uh, hey, everything you're after, you've already got. Yeah, that that's a that's a deep one, and <laughs> I'd have to go back to last um, Saturday. So I I've recently started to practice Shabbat. Or yes. Just, um, <laughs> Shabbat Shalom. Uh, I've I've tried to implement that, and I've not been good at it because I love to do stuff. It's hard. And and if I'm not doing them, who am I? I mean, still, yep. even after all the stuff yep. I've been through. Yep. So I set up Friday night at 6, excuse me, end it Saturday at 6. I've accomplished my work, and and in that moment, didn't have my phone, and I knew I had kind of completed my task, and I was just kind of weary. And my one-and-a-half-year-old, almost two, just picks up the worst kid's book that we own about this Percival the pumpkin or something like that. Spooky the pumpkin. It's terrible. And he's fixated on three things, uh, like a little scarecrow and a bug and a bat. And um, he thinks the scarecrow is my dad's pops. And um, I fell in love with my son right then. 
And I was completely delighting in who he was. And I was like, where's the bat? And he, bird, you know, he's getting it wrong, but I'm delighting in his fingers and his hair. And, and I was, I was thrilled at a soul level. Just, I was alive. I was like, I would have missed all of this if I had my stupid phone or if I was doing the yard or fixing this or getting a sermon ready or, you know, trying to get ready for a meeting with you or whatever. And I think that idea of being, if I wasn't being and realizing the gifts that I've been given, I miss out completely. Mm. And you miss out on the most important. And I, I think, Ashton, uh, kind of my, what you're saying and how it relates to kind of my story and the big emphasis that Casey and I, my wife, put on people is like, man, we are so hardwired for relational things, to be connected, I think, spiritually with the Father and with others, but then we do everything we can to avoid it because that mm-hmm. intimacy is so terrifying. Mm-hmm. But that's what we actually want, um, is that those moments that we can't have all of the time, but like, I think what we're seeing in um, psychology, counseling, neurology is that how hardwired our brains are for relationship. And we put up all of these different things because we've been told it or we've been sold a bill of goods that we should do this and then... And yeah, we, you know, you and I both know we need to work and be responsible, but man, that moment with my son was just that it was the, it was 10, 15 minutes, but it like echoed, mm-hmm. like it reverberated in the past. It was almost healing. Yeah. And in the future, it was like hope. And in the moment it was contentment and it mm-hmm. was, That's it was good. just peace and shalom. And I was like, dude, this is it. I'm like in love with this one and a half year old who can't, this is not a bird it's a bat you know so it was just wonderful man um and so that's where that i'm trying to get there but it's it's pretty dead burn hard to stay in that place of mm-hmm. being yeah yeah it is the <clears throat> last guy we just had on we kind of had this whole shabbat conversation um oh yeah how long how, how long you been doing this oh i don't even want to tell you because it won't count <laughs> i've been doing some of these practices for like a year and a half now yeah no, and examine but I'm um, in, I'm in I'm in seminary now, and we started watching The Chosen, which is a Christian deal. It's kind of like a Netflix version of Jesus. Don't judge a book by its cover, and don't judge the intro little theme song. I wish they'd have asked you to write it, Ashton. <laughs> but it's unbelievable. And so, like in seminary, and then in um, and, and this thing on Jesus, they're talking about Shabbat. So I've done it two weeks in a row. Um, but I've like set my family up for success. I've invited my wife into it as well, and we're planning it. And there's some other things we need to do to work on. But yeah, it takes great intention, people, bro. Well, yeah, I keep on broing with you. I'm sorry. Intention, but <laughs> but man, it's we're just starting it. I've been starting. The, you know, I've done the lectio for a while now, and the examine, and started integrating it into our church. And so this is. You said something earlier. It's like the vision is the process. It's mm-hmm. the actual journey that yeah. matters. And like Casey and I, I've, we've started to envision ourselves as like standing outside of our home metaphorically and going, what do we want to live in? Like, what do we mm-hmm. want to see both like physically in the house as we're redoing our bathroom, but then what's the, what's the atmosphere of the home? And so we don't know how to do Sabbath. I mean, like growing up Baptist was like, go to church and then, you shouldn't watch football, even though we did, and you shouldn't play sports. And so there was no like vision for what it is. And that vision takes time to implement. And I can't just do it 
but she's got to be involved in it too. And when we like co-create and she partners with me and I partner with her, it's beautiful. And so we're, we're going for it again this weekend, man. And I'm, I'm trying to start small, grow tall. Um, which by the way, Ashton, have you listened to Rue Payne's? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. I'm going to text you later, but Rue Payne's has got this line in the song. that says, start small, grow tall. And so we're trying it, man. We're just, we're just, we've just started it. It's been yeah. like three weeks before that. And I was like, okay, I think I'm getting this. I've been learning about being for like a year and a half, two yeah. years now. Yeah. I think this is the next stage or the next yeah. tool, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm kicking around in my rookie shoes as well on this and it's not, uh, as a three, it's even harder, you know, oh, I believe it. um, to, uh, to just totally um, shut it all down, but man, do I, I? I I think a lot of us that are at least willing to look in the shadow side know that something's got to give, and mm-hmm. um, that this has to be a space that um, we carve out and 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 allow it to be a gift because I think that's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like we feel it in our bones that we can't keep this rate up. Um, yep. So uh, what's currently keeping you curious? Man, um, other than the political and socioeconomic and racial um, atmosphere (laughs) of 2020, um, I think the main thing that's keeping me curious is thinking about thinking. Um, I'm a big feeler guy. Uh, You know, I like the full depth of emotions and the despair and the heights of joy. But I've been fascinated about thinking and thinking about thinking like how did we actually come to this place like i'm a big strength finders guy i don't have context or learner which like looks likes to look at the past and learn stuff Uh, but i'm fascinated by how for instance um a liberal theologian got somewhere or conservative got there and then looking back into like church history history and seeing how we got there like how did this philosophy come out how did this rhetoric come out and what are the consequences of it now and so I, being a challenger, and that what an eight is, being an eight, I love, it's like the end result I'm not after as much, but I'm like, hey, think about that. Where did that thought come from? How did you get that thought, you know? And where did their thought come from? And then seeing it, and I think that gives a lot of grace, but it's also terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people, when they see, it's like some little belief thing gets pricked or moved like a Jenga puzzle and it all falls to the ground, you mm-hmm. know? And so to me, it's, it's, it's really quite thrilling to think about it. Like I, I didn't even know this about myself until this, all this stuff happened the last two years, but I love to listen to like the Christopher Hitchens of the world as he would eviscerate Christianity and it was terrifying and I'd have to explore it and, and see if I could kind of master it, own it, face a fear, you know, give them credence or credit where credit was due. And so I've just, whether it's political or it's primarily theological and how that moves over into philosophical and all that other stuff and how it actually plays out in the real world. But I, I just, I've loved thinking about thinking and I've loved like some of these contexts where there's these, these podcasts that they just, people have a hunger for it because they want to think about it. Mm-hmm. They want to hear it. They want to explore it. They want to have open conversations where you can actually say what you think, even though it's probably stupid and maybe wrong but and, and and that's the thing I love about thinking is that then you're not disintegrated yeah. because whether you like it or not, that thought is driving a lot in you. So whether you think 
Black Lives Matter is, is you know, the manifestation of Mao China or um, it's the right way to go <laughs> for us um, politically, whatever else. It's like going down that path and then like being bold enough to be stupid about it and then having an environment where people can actually think about their thoughts together. That's fascinating to me. And it's unfortunately very rare, I think, because I, I've been off Twitter for three or four weeks now and that's like saving me years of my life. Um, literally, literally years. Um, I'm going to live to at least 45 now. So I'm excited about that. Um, so yeah, man, thinking about thinking is just, I love that phrase thinking about thinking. So that's, that's what's been in my, uh, my mind. I love it. Well, you've always been, um, a guy that's going after it and whatever it is. And, And I think you've, I think your story is one where you continue to peel back the onion. You continue to get to the thing underneath the thing and you keep saying it's still a work in progress and we're still going. And this pattern of death and resurrection, this pattern of order, disorder, reorder, uh, it, it's, it's always going. It, it's, it's not a one and done thing and you lead a beautiful life that shows us that. So, um, kudos to you. And uh, super grateful for your, you and your friendship over the years. Um, now you're doing some stuff with some folks where you kind of do some like coaching, consulting, life. Uh, I don't know exactly what to call it. If people have maybe heard this conversation today and they're like, I want to talk to John a little bit more. Where can we send them to follow you in this work you're doing? Yeah. Well, the website, uh, which my wife created and designed, which is awesome, is jsbauer.com. And um, this was just kind of the, the MO of life. Um, that was the idea of like, man, I've got something to produce or I've got something to create rather. And, and it's been the website and it's manifested. Well, honestly, it's like pastoring and shepherding. It's spiritual directing <laughs> the Donnie Dallas's of the world and all kinds of people. So it's, it's been really fun so far. I've uh, been able to do some coaching for individuals and then also for um um, court, like groups, uh, businesses, uh, along the way, but you can go to jsbauer.com. I think my Instagram is like John S. Bauer and Twitter is John S. Bauer, uh, as well. Um, which I've been off of both of those for like four weeks, but, um, in between this podcast podcast, I've done a few others recently and planning on some more about to put out some content and some videos, which I'm really excited about, which kind of frame out wired for relationships. So I should have those, over the next two weeks or so, and I'll be definitely tweeting and I'm being on LinkedIn to post those. Ashton, you'll be so excited um, to get a glimpse of that. So you can check it out on jsbauer.com. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right, my friend. Well, thank you for your good and necessary work in the world. Thank you for uh, your vulnerability today. And um, let's get you back on down the road. We We can chat a little bit more about the narrow path. Let's do it, man. Appreciate you. All right, brother.